Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, I interview someone with a controversial yet unique perspective on quarterback play in the NFL. You don't want to miss this week's episode of 90 Degrees. Welcome to the 90 Degrees Sports Betting Podcast, where we take an inside look into the football and sports betting world. I'm your host, G-Stack George. I'm excited because I've got a guy who likes to mix it up on Twitter. Very unique way of watching film, and I'm interested to get into it. You know him as Joe A on Twitter, film watcher, lawyer, aspiring NFL exec. Joe, thanks for joining me. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, Joe, I always want to know, when did you fall in love with this game called football? How old were you? Oh, boy. So, actually, you might be able to tell by my hat, I was a hockey guy first. And uh, watching football just kind of started as something to do to pass the time on Sundays in probably high school, probably freshman year. But by the time I got to college, about freshman year in college, I was just obsessed. Yeah. Uh, I remember my junior year of high school, me and my buddies would sit at lunch literally every single day and put on a crappy performance of first take, basically, just arguing over stats like crazy. We had memorized all the passing leaders and everything. You know, Lance Briggs is washed. Look at how slow he runs to the edge. No, it's all because Cutler can't stop throwing picks, you know, just every day. Uh, And then sometime uh, my junior year in college, I kind of fell in love with watching film. Yeah, that aspect of it. I, uh, I'm i in Canada. We learn about uh, football later, like you, high school. I remember learning it through playing Madden. And my era was the uh, greatest show on turf. So around 99, I would have been 13 years old is when I started really to get into it. And, you know, uh, Dan Marino, end of his career, Ray Lewis. Uh, sounds like you're a, a Bears fan, Erlacher, uh, Lance Briggs, that era. Uh, it's funny, I always loved the Erlacher, Ray Lewis, Zach Thomas era. Like that was peak middle. Like Zach Thomas was the clear number three linebacker of his era. And he was a like no doubt Hall of Famer. That's how good that era of football is. Uh, you said you, you got into, you, you fell into love with the, the film watching aspect of it and i want to dig into that a little bit did you uh start sports betting where you when you were young or was football just enjoying it as a fan of the sport no it was purely as a fan um so like i said like i was a casual fan until high school and then i got really into stats i was really obsessed with statistics and then in college i kind of realized like i'm spending so much time making arguments about like why the stats don't show the full story why don't i just watch what happened um and when i started watching what would happen I realized I often disagreed with what I would hear on ESPN because I was like an everyday first take, everyday Colin Cowherd kind of guy. Uh, and I was like, I had so many disagreements. And frankly, I had gotten a parking ticket and I didn't feel it was fair. I didn't want to pay it. So one Sunday when I was pulling up my illegal stream to watch the NFL in college, you know, Bovada spams you with those uh, betting ads. And I thought like, 
fine. I'll take the 20 bucks I was supposed to spend on this parking ticket and I'll bet it on the bills to beat the Colts week one of like maybe 2016. And if I win, cool. I pay the ticket and I'm done. And if I lose, now I know betting's not for me. And I won, and then I won like four more straight. Beginner's luck always, right? Yeah, that's what gets. You. That's why you still bet today, right? If you if if it was losing, I would never have you on the pod talking betting because you'd be so soured off by it. I find a lot of people's early experience uh, when they still are betting is that. Um, you know, it's funny. I um, I loved. Uh, I started to get into advanced data outside of just counting stats. When it, it started with an argument with a buddy about who the third best cornerback in football was. At the time, like Darrell Revis was like seen as number one and Namdi Asimov was number two. And we couldn't come to a conclusive who number three was. It, it made me dig into like burn rates and, and get into some of the, some of the data like that. I also watch film we on Tuesdays on Forward Progress. Uh, myself and Sharp Clark, we break down film. And I'm not charting stuff like you are, but I like to look and see uh, where there's a story that maybe you don't find in the box score. Like Detroit and Tampa Bay, for example, is a game where Detroit seemingly dominated. They won 20 to 6. And I just kept seeing, you know, Baker miss, you know, wide open touchdowns to Trey Palmer. And I said, this Detroit defense hasn't been punished yet by a good enough quarterback, right? We saw, obviously, Casey drop the ball a ton against them, and I said, these chickens are going to come home to roost because you can only leave a guy open for so long in so many games before someone punishes you for it. So, like, that's my uh, basis of film watching. I want to ask you, when you watch film, what are you doing? Are you doing uh, game film? Are you ripping the... Uh, uh 40 minute uh condensed version are you ripping the all 22 what are you doing so my process is that on any given sunday as long as i'm allowed to be at home with my setup i have a four tv setup here and i'll try to grade two games worth of quarterbacks at once while watching um and that's preliminary right like obviously i'm gonna make mistakes i'm multitasking and I can't see everything because it's broadcast angles. But one thing I do really hate is you get a lot of like uh, gatekeeping on Twitter, basically. People are like, oh, you can't even know. You didn't watch the old 22. Well, the broadcast angle shows about 20, 21 people at a time. And if you can't figure out where that 22nd person is, you're not really getting much from the film in the first place anyway. Plus, with replays, slow motion, oftentimes I actually enjoy watching the broadcast angles much more than the All-22. But then every Monday and Tuesday, when the All-22 starts trickling out, I'll, I'll note plays that I thought the All-22 might be helpful on, and I'll go back and check. Uh, so, and then obviously, on I typically try to do my YouTube videos on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. That's all All-22, and that's mostly for copyright reasons. But it's also useful for getting around the gatekeepers and being able to diagram and show everything all at once. Can we go through your um, unique grading chart? Uh, I'll get my producer to pull it up because uh, I find it fascinating. Uh, so you grade uh, elite throws, special throws, typically perfect deep balls. Uh, sounds pretty self-explanatory. Great is perfect second-level throws, catchable but imperfect deep balls. Solid is typically 8 to 12 yards downfield or accurate throws on coverage bus. Routine is check down screens, except. Those, uh, these need to be completed every time. There's bad, the inaccurate, batted balls are often bad too. And then there's the stuff that should have been picked. 
Uh, I have a question for you. You grade on a throw by throw basis, right? How, basically, the result of the throw. Do you factor in that some quarterbacks are better at pre-snap reads and, and get themselves easier throws because they're reading a defense better? Therefore, you might not be giving them the credit they deserve. Like Peyton Manning's a fine example of that. He was like one of the least sacked quarterbacks in his entire career because he understood what the defense was lining up and doing, and he made adjustments accordingly. Tom Brady for many years did as well, and people would say, oh, he just threw uh, slants and checkdowns. But sometimes if you're very good and understand you have a high football IQ pre-snap, maybe Joe Burrow, who doesn't have the most lively arm, has a high football IQ, they they give themselves easier throws than other quarterbacks. How do you uh, make up for that where you don't tax a guy for being too good pre-snap? Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought up Peyton Manning because at the end there in Denver, they would just throw out any old – if you were over 250 pounds, you could probably start on their offensive line because the ball's getting out in less than a second and a half. It doesn't matter, right? It was just shotgun, quick hitter. Um, so, yeah, all of those throws would have been routine on the chart, right? And that's why at the bottom, when I give my letter grade, the letter grade – isn't tied to the composite score that I give from the charting, right? Because there's there's really no way I can chart and be like, oh, he probably checked at the line or, oh, that was a double play with an option and he properly read the option, communicated with his receiver and got the ball out. There's no way to chart that, but it's something you can tell about. So Joe Burrow is a good example. He's probably the closest modern day thing we have. Not, not to Peyton Manning in that he's near the caliber, but in the fact that you know, the athleticism, the arm talent, not really there, but the offense seems to work and everything seems to flow easily. He must be doing something pretty good. When I, when I just grade Joe Burrow and I, I do the charts, he's probably like a low D high F quarterback most of the time because he's not doing a ton downfield. And obviously there's a lot of nuance to that. It's like I've graded, I think I've graded every snap he's taken in the NFL. So probably a thousand, 2000 snaps, he's going to have some great games. He's going to have some stinkers, but even though he would typically chart as like a D quarterback because of all these routine throws, I'm still going to bump him up significantly about a letter grade and a half because I know that it's not that easy, right? I know that if you threw a guy from the street in there, he's not going to throw the same slants and screens because a lot of it's chemistry and a lot of it's being able to understand what the defense is showing you. Yeah. Okay. Um, how do you factor in sacks? Because I'm going to tell you, Peyton Manning is my favorite uh, player of all time. And he once said in an interview um, how he knew when the pressure was coming. When he was at home and he heard the crowd gasp, he knew ball has to be out. I'm about to get sacked because that's what they're gasping at. And when he was on the road, when he heard the crowd elevate into a roar, he, he knew he was about to get sacked. And that, that ability allowed him to get the ball out early. This is using your ears, and nobody thinks about using your ears as a quarterback. There are some quarterbacks who are fantastic and adjust, and let's, you know, I know you love Sam Howell. You look at just on a throw-by-throw basis, you know, you put him in gym shorts, seven-on-seven, one of the prettiest balls that's thrown. But some of them just, you know, they don't know how to avoid sacks. Their pocket presence uh, is not top, top end. How do you... Um, how do you uh, factor that in? Do you do you tax them bad for it or do you do you not apply it? Oh, yeah. No. So the whole charting system goes to an, uh, a number that I call slugging, for lack of a better term, 
because I assign I assign a number value to each of the kinds of passes, kind of like slugging assigns a number value to how many bases you get. Um, and that's just because I'm terrible at branding in PR. Uh, I invented this. I actually invented this system of charting because in college, as a Bears fan, I was really frustrated that people didn't realize Mitch Trubisky wasn't doing anything special in his rookie year when he started to complete a lot of passes and throw for like 250 yards a game. I was like, well, it's all after the catch. It's all short. And you guys don't notice, but he's taking sacks because he doesn't know what to do. And so that was actually one of the seminal reasons that I started charting what I would see on film. Uh, And then you see guys like Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson, like that would really tick me off too. They're eating sacks because they'd rather have a sack than an incompletion because nobody looks at your sack numbers. So it's a little funny uh, now that I'm championing Sam Howell, who is the sack king. Hey, I want to talk to you about Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what the pros have known for the last 25 years. Everyday competitive odds, your trusted sports book. Bet smart, bet Pinnacle. Must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Not available in the U.S. Now back to the show. Uh, outside of whoever the hell the Giants line up at quarterback. Because <laughs> uh, we've heard about Sam Howell's historic pace through seven games. And then nobody's noticed that the Giants QB has been getting killed for two months now. Yeah, just because they're just throwing out backup quarterbacks with third string offensive linemen. But uh, the thing about Sam Howell is that usually if I just looked at the stats, I'd be like, oh, a lot of sacks. This guy, this is on the quarterback. Because most sacks are usually on the quarterback. But I found I found when I was when I was originally trying to convince my friends with these charts, like, look, Trubisky's taking sacks and they're his fault. I started separating sacks into sacks that I can blame on the quarterback. They didn't get through their read and sacks that there's just nothing you can do, because I think we'd all agree, like if a quarterback's on play action and before he fakes the handoff, he gets tackled. That's not on him. Um, And obviously there's going to be a ton of gray area between that and something that like Justin Fields would do on Monday night, standing in an empty pocket, waiting and waiting, and then just not noticing a blindside tackle. Um, So I actually, I I ding a negative sack when I blame on the quarterback, the exact same way I would ding them for a bad pass. Uh, It's the same value. So if, if you have a deep shot wide open and you just throw it out of bounds, sail it, same as if you took a sack. Now, I'm not sure that those are exactly equivalent because taking a sack is so negative to your EPA, to a team, because a team's EPA, even though I'm not a stats guy, EPA is a very good measure of how a team is playing and producing. That being said, the opportunity lost for an open deep shot, hard to measure as well. So uh, again, I'm not committed to the number values I assign as much as I'm committed to the letter grades, which are totally subjective and you're going to have to take that with film study. Uh, but yeah, no, sacks are usually a quarterback stat. I think Sam Howell is a particular case. Tell me, um, why do you get such off-market opinions? Usually people believe in like wisdom of the crowds. You have some opinions that are, you buck a lot of traditional thinking. Why, why is that? And have you ever thought maybe I have to refine what I do? Or do you say, no, I I have a particular process that I believe in and people just haven't really adopted this way of thinking. Because once upon a time in a lot of different sports, you know, a different way of thinking is, is, you know, it's people mock it, right? Because it's not traditional. It's not what people are used to, Uh, you know, 
it took a while for people to realize that Jokic was is the best player in the NBA. They didn't want to admit it. Uh, it took people a lot a, a lot of time to figure out Carmelo Anthony was overrated. Um, do you care that you're so wildly off opinion? Not really. Um, so I actually stopped probably four or five years ago consuming. I used to consume like almost every relatively popular football media podcast and video I could. Uh, so I'd be, I'd be listening to podcasts at like double speed while I was in law school, getting through like five a day, just ch- chugging information from a fire hose. And I realized I find myself disagreeing so often when I do agree it's chance. And oftentimes like I, I find myself agreeing with Colin Coward a lot back then, but for completely different reasons, he's like, Oh, I think this guy's pretty good because he wears his hat forward and he shakes your hand good. And I'm like, well, I don't think that actually has anything to do with playing quarterback. So who cares if I agree? Like, um, I don't mind being off market. I think that the reason I'm off market oftentimes is because people have a really hard time disassociating one piece from one cog from the machine that is a football unit, offense or defense. And it's not fun. Like in, in order to watch a football game and understand exactly how the quarterback played relative to the rest of the team, you have to start ignoring whether they converted on that down. You have to start ignoring every run play and run plays are fun. Like even if running is not productive or helpful, it's fun to watch. Like most of us fell in love with football because we love awesome middle linebackers smashing into awesome running backs. Like it's cool. Uh, so it's it's a style of watching the game that's not particularly fun, and it's also not particularly useful for if you're trying to make money betting on football games necessarily, because quarterbacks are one piece. And like an ex- a perfect example, I think Tua Tagovailoa is a bad, a really bad quarterback, like a mediocre backup. I think him and Gardner Minshew are interchangeable, but I also think Mike McDaniel is a genius. And I've long said Tyree Kill is the best receiver in football. And I loved Jalen Waddle coming out of the draft. So in the end, me and the biggest Tua stand on earth probably actually almost exactly agree on how good the Dolphins offense is. It's just we're apportioning blame differently because the quarterback has cool stats. Sick. But there's a lot going on around that. Uh, Joe, you mentioned um, you're a lawyer and you also developed your own unique uh, grading system. Where do you find time to watch film and grade film and still do your work outside of this? Uh, well, first of all, you got you to gotta cut back on sleep. Uh, second of all, I mentioned I like to listen to podcasts on double speed. I like to watch film on at least one and a half speed usually. And you slow it down when there's something close or interesting. But like, how slow do I need to see a screen to tell you that it's probably going to be a routine pass, right? Um, and most plays are routine and simple. There's really only like 10 plays a game that are consequential and difficult to grade. Um, I do get to work remotely two days a week. That helps. But I guess most of it is just I don't find time to watch movies or TV. It's If I'm not watching football, my TV's off. And I still find time to play hockey and work out and go to work and have somewhat of a social life. You're not you're not married. That's why, right? 
I'm not married, and it's yeah, really helpful. There she goes. There have been a few weeks this year. My girlfriend lives in San Francisco. There have been a few weeks this year where the podcast has been a little late, and the charts have been a little thin, and that's because I'm traveling. Yeah, I, I get the social aspect of it. I want to pull up a, a tweet you put out because you uh, are not afraid to mix it up on Twitter. Uh, you mentioned some stuff that I want to get into, and if we can pull it up, uh, Jason, it's about EPA. Uh, you wrote, when half your top QB list is just dudes we all agreed aren't very good, but who run the same offense with great weaponry, maybe your stat isn't actually saying much, if anything, about a player's value or performance. Maybe it's saying the opposite. EPA is a team stat. You're referring to the Mike Sh- the Kyle Shanahan system and uh, Bobby Slowick and uh, Mike McDaniel and Kevin O'Connell and everybody that came out of it, right? Uh, my question is, what stats do you value then? Uh, to measure quarterback performance. Do you have a stat that you like to to lean on or do you only go off what your film says? So it's not that, first of all, bluntly, none. I haven't looked at too many stats in the last five years. Um, And that's typically because, well, I think that a stat is a very useful shortcut when you don't have time to watch yourself. But I like to pose it this way oftentimes when I'm asked, I'm a lawyer, that means I've taken evidence, and it means I've done mock trials. Theoretically, if I was trying to prosecute a case where a guy robbed a store, and I had a book of statistics, demographic, this guy typically robs stores, he lives in this area, he was around at this time, that's all pretty helpful. It's a lot more helpful than I think he did it. But it's not nearly as helpful as the video camera that he smiles into as he walks out of the store with a gun and the merchandise in his hand. Like, if I have the video evidence, why not use it? And if I'm going to be crazy enough to grade five to 10,000 snaps a year anyway, why should I use the shortcuts when I watched it? So if I can't watch a game, EPA is one of the better stats we have because it takes away a lot of the filler and the garbage from yardage that makes yardage not that helpful. Uh, but if if Joe Burrow throws a negative three yard screen and Jamar Chase takes it house for 80 yards, Joe Burrow's EPA is going to look pretty sweet. And there are ways that you can get at the EPA that Jamar Chase contributed rather than Burrow in that play. But rarely do we see all the factors come together. And eventually, if you're spending that much time tailoring your factors, you might as well just watch. I'm gonna so I, don't think I don't think they're useless. I just don't think they're useful for me. Joe, I have made some crazy analogies in my life. I once compared myself to the president of the United States. That one took the fucking cake, I'm going to tell you. That was an analogy of all analogies. Um, you like to fight with Eric Eager on Twitter. I like yeah. Eric Eager, so this will not be... Uh, like a, to. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think you. I think you secretly like him. I, 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 um, that being said, he said something interesting because he agrees that Shanahan quarterbacks are um, their stats are inflated or, or their numbers in general. I mean, Jimmy G was leading EPA for so long and now nobody even thinks of him as a starter outside of that system. So, but he, he thought that maybe you need to grade two different types of quarterbacks, the in Shanahan system quarterbacks and the outside of Shanahan system quarterbacks um, to get a true measurement You talk about how, like, you know, the system works and and these guys excel in it. Is there something to be said that certain quarterback skill sets 
enhance the system they're in? Sure, but in the Shanahan, the wide zone, because like Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, LaFleur, they all run fairly different passing offenses. The run game is what's the same, um, and they all just happen to be brilliant guys. Uh, But in the Shanahan system particularly, I don't think that there's really much other than maybe blind faith because, and, and Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan have both spoken about it previously, they don't want a quarterback. Their, their offense is not designed like a traditional West Coast or uh, spread or even Ehrlich offense. Like they're looking for a quarterback to do what they're told. The read is designed and you have to just trust that it's going to work even if it doesn't look right. So you, may, you, you have to make a lot of blind throws over the middle, hoping that the route design pulls the linebacker away where it's supposed to. Um, a quick release also helps. I guess if Justin Fields was in such a system, he wouldn't be able to hit a lot of these quicker passes because you know, he's got that weird over-the-top back dipping the ball and you know, behind him motion. But other than a quick release and some faith in your coach, we've seen everybody – we've seen Matt Ryan, a guy who can't move and is a thinking man's quarterback, run this offense and succeed. We saw John Elway at the very, very beginning – run the same offense and succeed. Who's the opposite? Not necessarily the brightest guy, all the arm talent in the world, a little bit more mobile. We've seen RG3 run something, a variation of it. Almost exclusively mobile, worked really well. There's no prototype we haven't seen it work with. And therefore, I don't think that it's necessarily, you know, I don't think that any of these quarterbacks, I don't think Brock Purdy is bringing anything to the table that's spectacular in any respect. And therefore, I think that that's pretty good proof this offense just needs you to not mess up. Hey, the easiest way to improve as a sports better is use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like Betstamp. Betstamp compares odds across every sports book for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by checking Betstamp before you bet. Download the app today. If you're looking to sign up for a new sports book account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Now back to the episode. Well, let, let's con- let's contextualize it because backup quarterbacks we've seen don't thrive the same as some of these starters. And, you know, there was years where Shanahan couldn't have a healthy quarterback and he was C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins. And, you know, many games where Tua missed and the Dolphins offense was not good. So it's not exactly quarter proof, quarterback proof. The other part is uh, here's my counter for Tua, right? Like you say, he throws to his spot, right? He also, I think most people would agree the Dolphins don't have one of the best offensive lines in football. And when you, especially well, the inj- the injuries, right? There was a good stretch. Tua has quick release. He has a, a good understanding of pre-snap reads. He's also one of the best quarterbacks hitting his second and third read. So it's not just one read dummy uh, offense, throw it to the spot. There's other aspects of his game that are successful. Now, here's the context. Even when Tua was leading the league in EPA and everything like that, I didn't think Tua was a top five quarterback. But I I think pretending that he is a bottom 10 quarterback, I think is disingenuous. I think he's probably closer to the 8 to 13 range. Maybe that's the range you put him in behind the guys like Josh Allen and obviously Mahomes and some of those guys. But I, I think... Taxing him just because he's in the system. Let's look at it. In the system he's in, he's wildly successful. 
Um, and there's things that he does that enhances the system with his skill set. Brock Purdy's another one. You might say, okay, you know, a lot of Brock Purdy's throws are open, and 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 I agree with you. Brock Purdy has some underrated wheels, though. It it doesn't. You don't notice. You watch film, right? You you watch film. You don't see Brock Purdy getting out of the pocket, moving around, and say, "There's a, something a little bit more to this kid than J, say Jimmy G." He also has the ability to hit a deep ball that Jimmy didn't. Jimmy had to live over the middle uh, with slants and, and, and you know, fifteen-yard second-level throws. Brock has some of the higher upside that uh, Jimmy doesn't have. Now, I don't think anybody's knocking the door down saying Brock is a top ten quarterback. So, for me, context is important because we can only evaluate the circumstances they're in. Who you think's the most talented and who's the best surrounded by weapons? I think that varies year to year. Uh, and, I, and I think that's why it gets silly when people start saying, yeah, well, if you switched Herbert and Tua, and it's like, you can't. This is fantasy booking. In their circumstances, Tua's playing fantastic. Do, you, do I think Justin Herbert's a better quarterback? Probably yes. That's how I contextualize it. You don't mind dipping into the uh, controversy. You, you like to mix it up on Twitter. So this is, I promise you, I'm getting to a question here. Who's some QBs that you are higher on than general perception? And tell me why. So the obvious ones are are my two guys who I end up arguing in favor of more often than I'd like. Uh, Baker Mayfield and Sam Howell. And I promise it's a coincidence that they play similar styles, or at least people thought they did coming out of the draft. Um, this year, particularly, Kirk Cousins. And that's a guy that I, you know, I wrote off for years. Kirk Cousins was really good this year in the small sample that we got to see of him. Um, trying to think of who else I'd be higher on. Uh, oh, why do you why do you so actively defend Howell and Baker? Do you feel obligated that that they don't get any love from anybody, and you somebody's gotta put the cape on and, and defend them? No, I don't really care about any of that. I so. You'll see in my Twitter bio is that I call myself the keeper of the real. And it's because I get very frustrated when I think people aren't noticing something or paying attention to something. Um, in Howell's case, I just, I don't think people ever really paid much attention to him either at UNC where like people talk about him regressing in his final year at UNC. In his final year at UNC, his raw stats, which is what people are supposed to be paying attention to, looked very similar to Trevor Lawrence's at Clemson. But if you watch his film, the offensive line didn't exist. None of those guys are in the NFL. His wide receivers after uh, Deami Brown left, it was Josh Downs. And then, like, you and me probably could have been sixth and seventh on the depth chart. I'd, I'd, uh, been, the, I'd have been the right guard. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting open against any high school receiver or defensive backs myself. But regardless – I think that people just didn't really pay attention to him and he slipped through the cracks. And then he's actually pleasantly surprised me this year in circumstances that I think that the Giants games, both of them, blew me away. That that offensive line could get dominated so thoroughly by that defensive line. Um, and then in, in Baker's case, I just think the guy's gotten shafted every way he could since probably he came to the Browns in the first place. And it's really easy to pile on him because he's a lightning rod and he seems like an ass, but he throws the ball well. And 
it's not his fault that the Cleveland Browns wide receiver one was a geriatric Jarvis Landry when he left. And it's not his fault that he was with this Carolina Panthers team before we realized their offensive line sucked. He's a gamer. He uh, also, he likes to airmail people sometimes. And I his guess deep ball has been so bad this year. It's nuts. Let me ask you, who are some QBs that you are lower on than general perception? Yeah, so we already mentioned Tua, definitely Joe Burrow, uh, lately Jalen Hurts because he's getting MVP hype, and that just confounds me. I think he's a fine quarterback, but um, it's much easier to talk about the quarterbacks I was low on coming out of the draft because that just makes me look like a damn genius. But the big three are probably Burrow, Tua, and Hurts. Who have you changed your perception on? Has there been a quarterback? Josh Allen, when did it when did it change for you and why? So originally, when I started grading quarterbacks, I really loved PFF. And that's part of why I bought in on Baker, and it's part of why I didn't buy in on Josh Allen. I said, well, these PFF guys are watching all the snaps. I can't because I can't find college film. So they're probably onto something. And so I immediately started bashing Josh Allen on Twitter before I had even watched stuff and Boy, do I feel that's why I have a new golden rule as of about two years ago. If I don't watch film on a guy, I'm not going to talk like Dak Prescott. I just haven't watched that much of his film this year. I'm not going to talk. I don't know. Um, so Josh Allen, I thought he sucked. Uh, the wild card game against the Texans with Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen. I, I was watching him for one of the first times, like with a keen eye. And I thought, you know, it looks messy and bad but I can see how this turns into something good. And then I think 2020 is when he had his big breakout year, the COVID year. And I hated to say it, but I had to massively upgrade the guy. And since then, yeah, it's a roller coaster. And sometimes it's just disgusting. The, uh, the game in Miami last year comes to mind where he had one play where he had three turnover worthy plays on one drop back. He fumbled, he fumbled, and then he threw a pick. But the highs are incredibly high, and I don't think anybody could reasonably deny that he's an excellent quarterback. I want to talk to you about uh, consistency and variance in play. Um, to your, uh, to be fair, I don't think anybody uh, was strong on Allen early. Allen is probably the one case study of a guy who broke the dynamic of projection and where he was going. It's very rare that you're inaccurate in college, inaccurate in your first year or two in the league, and then somehow become, you know, one of the three best quarterbacks in football. It's that's a trajectory you can't uh, replicate. John Cooper, uh, head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, when they repeated, he said, "There's a lot of really good players, and there's a lot of really good teams that can win the cup in any given year, but the great ones." do it consistent, consistently, so they put together consistent reps, and they have an innate desire to want to win bad. And that's where you see teams, you know, repeat, dynasty. This is where you get certain players that are special beyond the mold. Consistency is, is sometimes hard. There's some quarterbacks that are consistent, but their ranges are within a small bubble. You know, they're, they're bad and they're good. Is it, There's a small range to it. There's some that are very, very high and very, very low. How do you knock when you're grading or thinking about somebody's consistency versus, you know, they did it once. every They do it once every two games. 
and that high is so good, how do you decide to judge them? Because oftentimes when we're evaluating college prospects, you you want to see a guy at least do something special a few, a, a few times and you think I can coach the consistency in them. And, and we're talking about guys that go in rounds two and three. How do you differentiate his high is very high, but he doesn't consistently do it? Yeah, that's the golden question, right? Uh, personally, so I assign letter grades to games, right? And we've all been through primary school and high school, so we know how GPAs work. I prefer to use medians uh, just because when you already have all the actual outcomes of the samples, we don't need to predict one in the middle. We can just look at the one that's actually in the middle. Uh, so I like medians a little better than averages on the GPA averages I use. Um, typically, when you grade, in college, I usually grade about five or six games per player. That's going to come out to roughly three to 400 snaps. Eventually, you start to get a sense of a guy. Uh, a lot of those are going to be routine, but still, like, with Bryce Young, you just I got this sinking feeling, and I, I was too high on him. I gave him a 2.3 grade, which meant I thought he'd be a good bridge quarterback. Uh, but immediately in the preseason this year, I was like, you know, I just – he can complete as many balls as he wants. It doesn't look like it's going to work. It doesn't look right. It looks like he's going to always struggle. And, I, you know, you get a sinking feeling, and maybe that is what tips you towards the negative end of the variance. You know, you say sometimes he has it, sometimes he doesn't, but I get this feeling that it just doesn't look sustainable. That's when you put it on the lower end of that average, right? Uh, but I try to stay pretty consistent to what I've seen. So, like, Will Levis last year, uh, he had – it was one of his junior year games at Kentucky, so the second last year when they still had Liam Cohen. And I don't remember, I believe it might have been South Carolina. He had one game where he just looked. He looked like a fully blossomed Trevor Lawrence. You know, the size, the arm strength, the velocity, and the touch, the ability to take something off it. It was incredible. But it's one game, and you watch the rest of his games, and you're like, this is a struggle. You know, so I still, he was my quarterback one, and I had a decent grade on him, but you kind of got to throw out the outliers. You know who else has a controversial opinion and also like Will Levis a lot is Pete Prisco. Oh God, he's got he's, a lot. Of, uh, yeah, he's not afraid to to to, and he is a film watcher and he's not afraid to take, I guess, the opposite trajectory of somebody. Um, are you contrarian by nature? Is that, is that was that your thing in high school? Uh, you- so, so the correct thing to say here is yes. The incorrect thing is to say no because that's also contrarian. You've caught me. Yeah. Uh, checkmate now uh i typically tend to be a little contrarian i'm definitely a free thinker uh if you put me in a room and you make me talk about just about any topic everybody will think i'm crazy uh because half the people will say that's totally right but that's totally wrong and vice versa give me one, um, give me one. what's your what give me a hot take sports or not sports that you have in life that you are alone on a hill i'll give you one in sports uh peyton manning is the greatest quarterback of all time. It's something that I am prepared to die on a hill on. Um, I'd like to hear your controversial take either way. I'll I'll give you one that I think sums it up really well. It's not sports. Uh, I'm a staunch capitalist. I love capitalism. I also hate the stock market and think that it's an evil perversion. I think that definitely sums it up. Um, Everybody on both sides of the aisle will hate me for that take. 
Let's talk about you betting. Uh, you bet on the games. Uh, you rate the QBs. You film watch. Do you think that gives you an edge when you're betting I, I, football? I, I think so. I think the edge is less pronounced than you might assume. Because if, if somebody comes and they look at my QB grades, they're going to say, he thinks Baker Mayfield's a great quarterback. He must be betting everything on the Bucks every single week. No, because Todd Bowles is still there. And I watched what he did to Tom Brady. Baker Mayfield will never be Tom Brady. We meet in the middle. And eventually my takes end up being pretty close to what the market consensus is. I just apportion the blame differently. So I think I get really big edges when a quarterback goes down due to injury and somebody steps up in his place. Uh, I think that I get really big edges when a quarterback changes scenes, like when Tom Brady went to Tampa or when Matt Stafford went to L.A. Uh, those Super Bowl tickets did cash. Um, that being said, uh, yeah, my, my edges almost exclusively come from film. I try not to steam chase just because there's no sport in it. And I don't necessarily bet money to make money. I bet money to make money and as proof of concept. You want to validate your opinion. If I didn't think that my film study was valuable, I wouldn't wager on it because that is the primary basis of my wagers. I, I try not to play psychologist and get into who's motivated today and who's got a revenge game. Uh, I try not to play physical therapist and say, well, you know, he was injured three weeks ago, so he's going to be 92% healthy and therefore I have an 8%. I, I'm, I'm not that kind of doctor. So basically it's film study or bust for me. All right. When you tweet and you can be honest, just amongst us, uh, us friends here, do you sometimes know, all right, I'm going to stir the pot with this one. It's, it's very literally the opposite. My, uh, my co-host on my po podcast, Alex, can attest to it. I will often sit on a tweet and sigh knowing that this is going to bring so much attention that I don't want. I hate the arguing. I have fun with it sometimes, but for the most part, because the other thing is I can't say what I want to say. Like, I don't, I, I'm going to get my account deleted if I say what I want to say. Got a pretty dark sense of humor and oh, so you're biting you're biting your tongue with all those tweets. Oh my god, yeah. Um, oh my god, yeah. I had a former account that didn't bite its tongue, and I'm not proud of it. That's why that account is gone. Uh, no, I, I definitely censor myself. I hate having extremely contrarian opinions because I don't want to argue. Like I would like people to when I a good example is when uh, your buddy, Mr. Eager, went on Washington, D.C. radio and said, you know, Sam Howell's going to be a career backup because he takes too many sacks. Legitimately in good faith, I made a video. I broke down every one of the sacks he had taken to that point in the season, and I apportioned blame and broke down the plays as quickly as I could, uh, saying, like, I think it's this fault, not his fault, his fault, not his fault. It was like a 30-minute video. I responded to him with the video. I would love him to see the video. I would love to honestly hear if he disagrees, if he cares. That's cool. Everything after that, a nightmare, an actual nightmare. Uh, that said, I do keep tweeting, so I guess I must be a glutton for punishment. But most of my takes are very off-market, very contrarian. So I either have to say very little or deal with it. 
I think I could unite you two uh, by bringing you both on and start fighting with both of you about Tua and watch you two unite in in your in your bashing of me and him. Uh, Joe, I've had a pleasure, but I want to know before you go, what is your dream job? You said aspiring NFL exec. I don't know if you're. Uh, if that's honest, if it's cheeky, you know, that's sometimes people use social media. What is the job uh, if you uh, really wanted that, that that would be the one that you say, this is it. I've achieved my mountaintop, my dream job. The mountaintop is obviously GM of the Chicago Bears and hopefully just in time for me to get Drake May uh, and hire Ben Johnson. But obviously that's everybody's dream job, right? Is NFL GM. Like we all want to do that. Um, realistically, if I could get a job with an NFL team evaluating players and not take a pay cut, I'd do it. But there's not that many of those kind of jobs. Um, you wouldn't trade um, the 32nd overall pick for Chase Claypool, would you? No. And I, I have tweets proving that I said they shouldn't do it when they did it. That's uh, exactly no one. I I don't think I don't think anybody liked that trade or any anybody sensible at that point. Chase Claypool was a lot of name by then. Joe, I've enjoyed this. Uh I share a group chat with a couple guys that enjoy your account and like mixing it up with you. So when I told them I'd be interviewing you, it went over big. I know they're gonna enjoy seeing this. They are gonna watch it. Eric Eager is gonna know uh what Joe A wants him to respond to. Uh, I want to thank you, honestly. I thought this was eye-opening. I enjoy bringing people on, talking different perspectives in football. Um, really enjoyed this, and we should do this again one day soon. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. That's it for me. Another edition of 90 Degrees is in the books. I want to thank my guest, Joe A., film watcher, lawyer, aspiring NFL exec, the sponsors of this podcast, Pinnacle and Betstamp, and my producer, Jason Cooper. Thanks for listening. Do me a favor before you go, like the content, subscribe, share, and comment, and we'll be back next week with another guest on the 90 Degrees podcast where we take an inside look into the sports betting industry. That's it for me. Hope you enjoyed. Until next time.